This is a prologue episode of Nullius in Verba, in which I will read one chapter from the book Pitfalls in Human Research, Ten Pivotal Points, by Theodore Barber, published in 1976. Pitfall 4. Investigator Data Analysis Effect the investigator's responsibility extends beyond deciding the kind of study to undertake, the kinds of data to gather, the type of experimental design to use, and the specific instructions and procedures to employ in the experiment. The investigator also has control of and is responsible for the data analysis, even though the actual computations may be performed by an assistant or a computer. This phase of the research can easily give rise to an investigator data analysis effect. Careful checks of statistical procedures by knowledgeable reviewers, e.g. Schapanis, 1963, pages 310 to 313, at times reveal serious mistakes in the statistical analyses used in research reports which invalidate the conclusions. A survey by Wolins, 1962, similarly indicated that inappropriate data analysis may not be uncommon and raised questions about investigators' willingness to permit reanalysis of their original data. Wolins asked 37 psychologists, who had recently published journal articles, for their original data. 26 of the 37 70% did not reply or claimed that their original data were either lost, misplaced, or inadvertently destroyed. Finally, Wollins was able to reanalyze seven sets of data supplied by five investigators. Of the seven analyses, three involved gross errors. These errors were sufficiently great to change the conclusions reported in the journal articles. For instance, in one analysis, Several F-ratios near 1, which were clearly non-significant, were reported to be highly significant, and another F-ratio was incorrectly reported to be non-significant due to the use of an inappropriate error term. A decade later, Craig and Rees, 1973, found an improvement in investigators' willingness to show their original data, but they did not ascertain whether errors in statistical analysis had decreased. They wrote to 53 authors of articles published during one month in four psychological journals and asked for copies of their original data to be used in a master's thesis. Of the 53 authors who received letters, eight did not reply. Nine completely refused to share their data, five reported that the data were currently unavailable, and four indicated that the data had been lost or destroyed. However, the results were more encouraging than those reported a decade earlier by Wallins, 1962. Craig and Rees, 1973, reported that about half of the authors 27 of 53, who received letters requesting their data, cooperated to some degree. 20 sent their data, or a summary analysis, and 7 offered data if they were provided with further information. Let us now take a look at 8 types of data analyses that can produce biased results. Although these 8 pitfalls in analyzing data tend to be overlapping, 
they can be best clarified by discussing them separately. 1. A serious potential pitfall is present when investigators collect a large amount of data and have not pre-planned how they are to analyze the data. Lipset, Trow, and Coleman, 1970, have emphasized this pitfall, noting that if an investigator is blessed with an abundance of data, he can select those data which confirm his hypothesis that a relationship exists. Page 83. The major problem here is that the investigator decides how the data are to be analyzed after he has eyeballed or studied the data. After the investigator has perused the data, he may decide to analyze only certain parts of the data while neglecting other parts. When the investigator has not planned the data analysis beforehand, he may find it difficult to avoid the pitfall of focusing only on the data which look promising, or which meet his expectations or desires, while neglecting data which do not seem right, which are incongruous with his assumptions, desires or expectations. When not planned beforehand, data analysis can approximate a projective technique such as the Rorschach, because the investigator can project on the data his own expectancies, desires or biases, and can pull out of the data almost any findings he may desire. 2. Investigators at time fail to report that the data did not support their original hypothesis. Instead, after they have studied the data, they derive a new hypothesis that is supported by the data and then verify the new hypothesis by performing a statistical test on the same data from which it was derived. Lipset, Trow and Coleman, 1970, Selvin, 1970. Although investigators may derive a new hypothesis from a completed study, the new hypothesis needs to be tested and verified in a subsequent study. 3. Investigators at time collect incidental data that are not directly related to the hypothesis they are testing. If they fail to confirm their original hypotheses, they then perform a large number of statistical tests on the remaining data and report whatever significant results are obtained as findings. The rationale behind this procedure seems to be if we don't get significant results on the variables we are interested in, then we'll have these other variables to fall back on and we'll have something positive to report. These kinds of procedures can easily lead to misleading conclusions. In the next section of this chapter, we shall look carefully at a report that illustrates this kind of pitfall in data analysis. 4. At times, investigators conduct post-mortem analyses on the same data after the originally intended analyses have been performed and have failed to yield significant findings. This misleading procedure typically involves cutting or slicing the data in originally unintended ways. This kind of post-mortem analysis can provide hypotheses to be tested in further research, but it leads to misleading conclusions when the results are accepted without replication. 
The reason why post-mortem data analyses lead to misleading conclusions is that random numbers will yield statistically significant findings if they are cut or subdivided in various ways and subjected to statistical analysis. This kind of investigator data analysis effect is not uncommon in psychological research. Clement, 1972 and we shall present an example of this pitfall in the next section of this chapter. 5. Investigators at time perform a large number of statistical tests and find that a small number, say 5%, are significant at the 0.05 level. The significant results are then reported without consideration of the fact that at least 5% of the comparisons will be significant at the 0.05 level by chance alone. 6. Investigators at time report from among a sizable number of computed comparisons only those that are significant, but the reader is not told about this selection. Quoted from McNamara. 1960. Of course, when many statistical tests are performed on a set of data, the alpha rate changes considerably. Blanchard, 1971. Fylde and Armenakis, 1974, have clearly demonstrated how multiple tests of significance can easily lead to erroneous conclusions. For instance, they state, Suppose an investigator set his significance level at 0.05 and conducted 10 independent tests. He may think that his probability of type 1 error, rejecting a null hypothesis when it is true, is 0.05. However, his actual probability of type 1 error in one or more of the 10 decisions is 0.40. Page 426. Nayer, 1967, has labeled this pitfall as probability pyramiding and has commented as follows. Reporting the 5% level for a finding means that there is only a 5% chance that it is a spurious finding resulting solely from chance variations. If, however, two independent analyses are done, the probability that at least one such analysis will yield a spurious, significant finding at this level is greater than 5%. The assumption of independence of the two analyses, while not always true, simplifies the discussion without introducing serious error. To determine the new probability level, one may calculate the probability that a significant result would not be obtained in either of the two trials. 0.95 multiplied by 0.95 and then subtract this from 1. Thus, 1 minus 0.95 squared equals 0.098. If three independent analyses are done, the real level becomes 1 minus 0.95 to the power of 3 equals 0.143. Each individual analysis increases the probability pyramiding even though it may be part of one large analysis, such as stepwise multiple regression, item analysis, etc. Page 259. 7. 
Related problems arise when an investigator obtains negative results or fails to confirm his hypothesis and then fails to report his negative results. In an interesting paper, Dunnett, 1966, described his personal experiences which led him to become aware of the massive size of this graveyard for dead studies. Page 347. Similarly, McNamara, 1960, noted that investigators at times simply discard all data of an experiment as bad data if not in agreement with theory and start over. The problem here is that if the investigator obtains positive results in a later study and publishes them without mentioning his earlier negative results, the reader is likely to conclude wrongly that the positive results are more stable, more easily replicable and more valid than is actually the case. Rhein, 1974b, has appropriately pointed out that the subtle private judgments about what data to declare in reporting constitute an area that needs the fullest possible safeguarding. Page 110. 8. When an investigator obtains negative results that fail to confirm his hypothesis, he is likely to check for computational errors in the data analysis or to run another data analysis. Friedlander. 1964. However, when the original analysis confirms the investigator's hypothesis, it is unlikely that he will check for computational errors or run another analysis. To illustrate these pitfalls, Friedlander 1964 courageously offered himself as an example, describing how he looked for mistakes in the data analysis when it yielded results that contradicted his expectations. He concluded that research investigators tend to accept the adage, if you don't succeed at first, try and try again, and they also accept the adage, if you do succeed at first, do not try again. Page 199. 9. Note. Barber says there will be 8 pitfalls, but there are 9. At times, Investigators place heavy emphasis upon a statistically significant outcome but fail to point out that the degree or strength of association between the two variables is actually very small or negligible. Kish, 1970. A significant value of f, t or chi-square means that Probably there is some dependence between the variables in the population, but the degree of dependence may be practically zero regardless of the significance level. Duggan and Dean, 1968. Kish, 1970, appropriately points out that the results of statistical tests of significance are functions not only of the magnitude of the relationships studied but also of the number of sampling units used and the efficiency of the design. In small samples, significant, that is meaningful, results may fail to appear statistically significant. But if the sample is large enough, the most insignificant relationships will appear statistically significant pages 138 to 139. There are several ways to avoid this pitfall. Instead of presenting results in terms of tests of significance, they could be presented 
in terms of confidence intervals. Natrella, 1960. Probably a better way of avoiding the pitfall is to present an estimate of the strength of association along with the statistical test of significance. Donet, 1966, page 350. Such measures of degree or strength of association include, for example, Goodman and Kerskel's comma for chi-squared, r-squared for Pearsonian correlations, omega-squared, and many others that are discussed by Cohen, 1965, Fleisch, 1969, and Keppel, 1973, chapter 25. Pitfalls in data analysis. Two illustrative studies. To illustrate the pitfalls that were listed above, we shall analyze two important and influential studies that are directly pertinent to demonstrate one of the other major pitfalls discussed in this text. Pitfall 10. Namely, that experimenters unintentionally and subtly communicate their expectancies to their subjects and the subjects respond in accordance with the experimenters' expectancies. Experimenter unintentional expectancy effect. Paradoxically, while trying to demonstrate one of the major pitfalls, the experimenter unintentional expectancy effect, these studies seem to demonstrate another one of the major pitfalls, the investigator data analysis effect. Illustrative study 1. In the first study, Rosenthal, Persinger, Mulry, Klein, and Groth 1964b, 20 student experimenters were asked to test a total of 73 subjects on Rosenthal's person perception task. When using this task, the subject is shown a series of photographed faces. The subject is asked to rate on a numerical scale whether each of the individuals shown on the photographs has been experiencing success, high ratings, or has been experiencing failure low ratings. The study was designed to show that experimenters obtain ratings from their subjects that they expect to obtain. To induce the student experimenters to expect high or low ratings from their subjects on the person perception task, each experimenter was told by an investigator that on the basis of personality tests given to the subjects, it could be expected that certain of their subjects would perceive the photographed individuals as successful, high ratings, and other specified subjects would see them as failures, low ratings. Since the subjects were not given the personality tests and were randomly assigned to the experimenters, the subjects should not actually differ in their ratings. The dependent variable was the difference between the average ratings obtained by each experimenter from those subjects whom he expected would give high ratings and those subjects whom he expected would give low ratings. The investigators, Rosenthal et al., 1964b, did not perform an overall statistical analysis of the data to determine if the subjects' ratings were harmonious with the experimenters' induced expectancies for high or low ratings. Instead of determining first whether the data showed the hypothesized experimenter unintentional expectancy effect, the investigators stated that three of the 20 experimenters showed a reversal of the biasing effect of expectancy, i.e. 
they obtained data significantly opposite to what they had been led to expect. The investigators then analyzed the data for the remaining 17 experimenters and reported that these experimenters showed a significant experimenter unintentional expectancy effect. That is, they obtained ratings from their subjects in line with their, the experimenters, expectancies. There are several interrelated reasons why this conclusion that the study showed an experimenter unintentional expectancy effect cannot be accepted as valid. A. The investigators concluded that the effect was present after performing an analysis that did not include the negative data, in the opposite direction, that were obtained by three of the 17 experimenters. B. The negative data were excluded from the analysis, which supposedly showed the experimenter unintentional expectancy effect, after the investigators had inspected the data and after they had determined that some of the data were negative with respect to the experimental hypothesis. C. The investigators were not using the acceptable procedure of excluding data by means of a criterion that was determined prior to inspection of the data. D. The way the data were analyzed did not allow for the possibility that the study may have simply failed to show an experimenter unintentional expectancy effect. In another connection, Schepenis and Schepenis, 1964, presented several reasons why these kinds of statistical procedures lead to misleading conclusions. Unfortunately, this line of reasoning, that data which are counter to the hypothesis can be excluded from the analysis which aims to test the hypothesis, contains one fundamental flaw. It does not allow the possibility that the null hypothesis may be correct. The investigator, in effect, is asserting that his prediction is correct and that subjects who do not confirm to the prediction should be excluded from the analysis. This is a foolproof method of guaranteeing positive results. Some people may feel that no matter how questionable the selection procedure, it must still mean something if it leads to significant results. This point of view, however, cannot be reconciled with the following facts of life. It is always possible to obtain a significant difference between two columns of figures in a table of random numbers provided that we use the appropriate scheme for rejecting certain of these numbers. We strongly recommend that subjects not be discarded from the sample after data collection and inspection of the results. Nor is it methodologically sound to reject subjects whose results do not confirm to the prediction. If there are any theoretical grounds for suspecting that some subjects will not show the predicted effect, the characteristics of such subjects or the conditions should be specifiable in advance. It should then be possible to do an analysis on all subjects by dividing them into two groups, those predicted to show the effect and those predicted not to show it. Pages 16 to 17. In brief, no confidence can be placed in research reports that conclude that the hypothesis was confirmed by a statistical analysis which excluded the data that were judged, after inspection of the results, to be significantly opposite to the hypothesis. When the data of the study are analyzed appropriately using all 20 experimenters, there is no significant difference between the ratings obtained when the experimenters expected high ratings and when they expected low ratings. Illustrative Study 2 
we shall further illustrate the investigator data analysis effect by looking closely at a widely quoted study. Rosenthal, Persinger, Vikan Klein and Mulry, 1963, which aimed to demonstrate that a. Experimenters unintentionally communicate their expectancies to their subjects, b. The subjects then respond in accordance with the experimenters' expectancies, c. Experimenters also unintentionally communicate their expectancies to their assistants, and d. When the assistants henceforth test subjects, they also unintentionally obtain data in line with their expectations. There were 14 experimenters in the study who tested 76 subjects on the person perception task. Each experimenter later trained two assistants, and the 28 assistants then tested 154 additional subjects on the same task. The three major independent variables were as follows. 1. The experimenters first tested the average ratings they expected to obtain from their subjects on the person perception task. These expectancies were termed the experimenters' idiosyncratic expectancies or biases. 2. Before testing their subjects, half of the experimenters were told by the investigator that they should expect to obtain high success ratings from their subjects and half were told that they should expect to obtain low failure ratings and they were given a rationale why they should expect to obtain such ratings. These expectations were labeled as induced expectancies. 3. Subsequently, the experimenters were led to expect, by the investigator, that their assistants would obtain the same high or low ratings from their subjects that they, the experimenters, had been originally led to expect. However, the investigator warned the experimenters not to tell their assistants what type of ratings they should expect. After the assistants had tested their subjects, analyses were performed to determine if assistants obtained ratings which were in line with either the idiosyncratic or induced expectancy effects of the experimenters who had originally trained them. The major dependent variables in this study were the ratings on the person perception task given by the subjects tested by the experimenters and by the subjects tested by the assistants. The authors of the paper reported that the 2 by 2 analysis of variance based on experimenters' subjects' ratings as a function of experimenters' induced and idiosyncratic expectancy bias yielded no f with an associated p smaller than 0.15. Page 321. This statement means that the experimenter unintentional expectancy effect was not demonstrated in this study. The experimenters did not obtain ratings from their subjects which agreed with what the experimenters originally expected to obtain, idiosyncratic expectancies, or what the investigators told them to expect, induced expectancies. In addition, the authors of this paper presented an analysis of variance which indicated that the assistants were not significantly influenced by their experimenters to obtain ratings in accord with the experimenters' idiosyncratic or induced expectancies. 
The conclusion indicated by the analyses mentioned above is that the study had not demonstrated an experimenter unintentional expectancy effect, and also had not demonstrated an assistant unintentional expectancy effect. That is, neither the experimenters nor the assistants' expectancies had influenced their subjects' ratings on the person perception task. The investigators, Rosenthal et al., 1963, however, failed to draw the conclusion that the study had failed to demonstrate expectancy effects. Instead, they went on to perform additional statistical analyses among the variables mentioned above and many other variables. We shall now summarize Barber and Silver's 1968a, 1968b critique of these additional analyses in order to illustrate several types of investigator data analysis effects. 1. These additional statistical analyses took into consideration at least 22 independent variables and 4 dependent variables. The 22 independent variables included, for example, the experimenters and the assistants, idiosyncratic and induced expectancies, and a variety of personality characteristics of the experimenters, the assistants, and the subjects. The four dependent variables included two methods for measuring the effects of the experimenter expectancies and two methods for measuring the effects of the assistants' expectancies. 2. When a study includes many independent and many dependent variables, the investigator should perform a multivariate analysis, e.g. factor analysis, multiple discriminant analysis, canonical correlation, multivariate analysis of variance or covariance. A multivariate analysis applied to multivariate data can yield unambiguous conclusions concerning the effects of the independent variables on the dependent variables. However, if a multivariate analysis is not performed, if the investigator analyzes the data bit by bit, for example, analyzes the effects of one or more independent variables separately on each dependent variable, serious problems of probability pyramiding arise. Nair, 1967. 3. The investigators, Rosenthal et al., 1963, did not perform a multivariate analysis, and in fact could not do so because such an analysis requires a very large number of subjects. 4. Although the 22 independent variables and the 4 dependent variables could give rise to thousands of possible statistical comparisons, Guilford, 1954, page 80, the investigators analyzed only a small fraction of the data bit by bit, utilizing primarily t-tests and Spearman rows. The investigators performed about 125 statistical comparisons, of which about 21 were significant at the 0.05 level. 5. If the investigators had made planned comparisons, that is, if they had specified in advance which comparisons were to be made, and if each comparison was independent of the others, one would expect that at least 6 of the 125 to be significant at the 0.05 level by chance alone. 6. 
However, since the investigators were not making planned comparisons, and since at least 5% of the thousands of possible comparisons that were present in the data could be expected to be significant at the 0.05 level by chance alone, it is difficult to determine exactly how many of the 125 comparisons that were selected by unclear criteria from the thousands of possible comparisons might be significant by chance alone, but this number could easily have exceeded 21. Confirm. Hayes, 1963, Chapter 14. 7. Furthermore, of the 21 comparisons that were found to be nominally significant, about 15 involved overlapping data. When separate statistical tests are made on overlapping sets of data, it can be expected that if one set is significant, the other set, which includes much of the same data, may also be significant, and the two statistics cannot be considered as independent of each other. When the statistical comparisons are not independent, the percentage of comparisons that can be expected to be significant at the 0.05 level by chance alone far exceeds 5%. 8. Of the remaining six nominally significant statistics, five were t-tests that were performed upon data which had first tested for significance by overall f-tests. The F-tests failed to show significant effects, and the null hypothesis should have been accepted. When the preliminary analysis of variance does not show overall significance, post-mortem analyses of the same data by means of t-tests yields uninterpretable results. Hayes, 1963, page 483. In brief, although this study, Rosenthal et al., 1963, was interpreted as showing an experimenter unintentional expectancy effect, and also an assistant unintentional expectancy effect, the interpretation was not valid. The study was inappropriately analyzed, and the investigators drew conclusions that were not justified by the data. That is, the conclusions were based on an investigator data analysis effect. Summary. Let us now summarize some of the investigator data analysis effects that were found in the two illustrative studies described above. In the first study, a an overall statistical analysis was not performed to reject the null hypothesis, b negative data, data which were significantly opposite to the experimental hypothesis, were not used in the statistical analysis which supposedly confirmed the experimental hypothesis, and c the decision not to use the negative data was made after inspection of the results and without a predetermined rationale. Some of the pitfalls in the second study were as follows. A. After an overall analysis had failed to reject the null hypothesis at a conventional level of significance, the investigators performed a large number of post-mortem statistical tests on the data. The investigators failed to make clear that the results of such post-mortem analyses are far from definite and can at best only suggest new hypotheses to be validated in further research. B. Problems of probability pyramiding were not avoided, near 
1967. For example, there was a failure to take account of changing levels of significance when many statistical tests were performed on a single set of data. Filed in Armenakis, 1974, Ryan, 1959. C. The investigators strained for significance by accepting p-values greater than 0.10 as confirming the experimental hypothesis. D. The investigators failed to perform a multivariate statistical analysis, such as multiple analysis of variance, in a study which included many independent and many dependent variables. Instead, a large number of comparisons were made on overlapping data by individual t-tests and Spearman rows. Recommendations The above considerations suggest that some of the many ways that an investigator can avoid an investigator data analysis effect is to adhere to the following principles. 1. If the investigator is not using the technique of planned comparisons, that is, if the particular comparisons that are to be made are not specified in advance, Hayes, 1963, Chapter 14, an overall statistical test should be performed that includes all of the data. 2. The probability value required for rejection of the null hypothesis should be specified in advance. 3. Conclusions should not be drawn from the results of post-mortem tests performed upon the data after an overall test has failed to reject the null hypothesis. The results of such post-mortem tests should be substantiated in independent research in which they are specifically predicted and tested. Kerlinger, 1964, page 621. The statistical analyses should avoid errors of probability pyramiding. Filed in Armenicus, 1974, Nayer, 1967. For example, the error of finding some significant f-ratios in an experiment by complicating the experiment with more and more irrelevant variables while continuing to base the error rate upon the individual f. Ryan, 1959. If many independent and many dependent variables are used in one study, they should be clearly specified beforehand. A large number of subjects should be used so that there are sufficient numbers of subjects in each cell of the experimental design, and the data should be analyzed by multivariate procedures, such as multiple discriminant analysis, multivariate analysis of variance or covariance, canonical correlation, or factor analysis. The analysis of multivariate studies should not be carried out piecemeal by individual t-tests, Spearman rows, chi-squares, etc. Kettle, 1966. 6. Instead of including many independent and dependent variables in a study, which requires a large number of subjects if the investigator is to carry out an appropriate multivariate analysis, the investigator might consider the advantages of keeping the number of variables within manageable proportions. As Hayes, 1963, cogently pointed out, In planning an experiment, it is a temptation to throw in many experimental treatments, especially if the data are inexpensive and the experimenter is adventuresome. However, 
This is not always good policy if the psychologist is interested in finding meaning in his results, other things being equal. The simpler the psychological experiment, the better will be its execution, and the more likely will one be able to decide what actually happened and what the results actually mean. Page 411. Motivations for positive results. To reduce the extent of the investigator data analysis effect, it is necessary to emphasize in the training of behavioral scientists how and why this effect exists and how investigators should take pains to avoid it. Of course, this depends primarily on our teachers in psychology and the behavioral sciences and their willingness to talk about this effect openly and to continuously caution their students about it. Although the investigator data analysis effect can be reduced by bringing it out from behind closed doors and talking about it openly, nevertheless, there are strong motivations that tend to give rise to this effect and, as long as they exist, we can expect the effect to occur. To further reduce the prevalence of this effect, it is necessary to remove the motivations. One of these motivations derives from the belief that investigators will not be able to publish their research in professional journals if they do not report positive results. Let us look more closely at the complexities involved in publishing papers. McNamara, 1960, conjectured that studies with non-significant results are usually not submitted for publication. Investigators commonly select their significant findings for inclusion in their reports. This conjecture was confirmed by Sterling, 1959, when he surveyed all of the papers published during 1955 in four major psychological journals. In 97% of the studies that used statistical tests, the null hypothesis was rejected, that is, positive findings were reported. More recently, Bozart and Roberts, 1972, checked all of the articles published from January 1967 to August 1970 in three journals concerned with counseling psychology, and Greenwald, 1975, checked the articles published during 1972 in the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology. Bozart and Roberts reported that, of the studies using statistical tests, 94% rejected the null hypothesis, and Greenwald found that 88% of the articles reported positive results. It thus appears that non-significant results are either rarely submitted for publication and or rarely accepted for publication. The implication of the above, that there exists a misleading selection of significant results for publication in journals, is supported by Cohen's 1962 analysis of papers published during 1960 in the Journal of Abnormal and Social Psychology. He analyzed 70 studies with regard to the power of the statistical tests that were used. The power of a test is directly proportional to the size of the sample. He found that the power of the tests, that is, the probability of rejecting the null hypothesis of no difference when there actually was a difference, was typically meager. That is, the size of the samples were typically too small to expect that the statistics would yield significant results very often, even when the null hypothesis was false. However, with few exceptions, 
each of the 70 studies reported significant results, even though the statistical tests were usually not sufficiently powerful to detect significance with the relatively small samples that were used. The results of Cohen's analysis can be interpreted as indicating either that a. Investigators find significance in their data even though their statistical tests are not sufficiently powerful to detect significance with the typically small samples that are used. b. They select only their significant findings for publication and do not submit their negative findings. Or c. Journal editors select the significant findings for publication and reject the negative findings. In line with the above, Smart, 1964, noted that there appear to be two main reasons why studies with negative results are rarely published. A. Authors are more likely to submit their positive rather than their negative results for publication. B. Negative results are subjected to more editorial scrutiny. Support for the latter contention is found in a recent investigation. Mahoney, 1975, and also in an editorial statement made by a former editor of the prestigious Journal of Experimental Psychology. The editor, A. Wee Melton, stated that he was very reluctant to publish results that were not significant at the 0.01 level. Bacon, 1967. Smart, 1964, noted the following problems that arise from these practices. A. If researchers are aware of studies supporting a hypothesis but not those which did not support it, they are misled into believing that the hypothesis is more valid than is actually the case. B. Without an awareness of negative results in an area, other investigators are unable to make improvements in their experimental designs which might lead to positive results. Another problem, which is not mentioned by SMART, is that the emphasis on positive results may lead investigators to perform inappropriate data analyses as to obtain positive results. The notion that journal editors tend to reject reports of negative results is true in some cases, see Melton's statement above, but this notion is also misleading. It is not negative results per se that are difficult to publish, but results that are judged to be meaningless, trivial, or as failing to enhance understanding. Both negative results and positive results can fail to contribute to knowledge or theory or be meaningless or trivial. As stated in the publication manual of the American Psychological Association, Anonymous, 1974, page 22, Positive results with regard to a trivial question or devoid of theoretical explanation are practically as valueless as negative results with regard to the same question. Good research answers meaningful questions and a meaningful question can be answered either by yes, positive results or no, negative results. For example, in the area of hypnotism, my co-workers and I have asked is a standardized hypnotic induction procedure more effective than brief task motivational instructions in enhancing responsiveness to test suggestions as measured by the Barber Suggestibility Scale? Although a series of experiments provided a no answer to this question, negative results, they were all readily publishable because they answered an important question. 
Barber, 1969a. As the publication manual of the APA, Anonymous, 1974, states, negative results are of interest to editors a when an established theory clearly predicts that a difference or correlation should be found, and also b when an investigator discovers a methodological weakness in a published report of positive results and, correcting the weakness, finds that the significances vanish. Page 21. In brief, the major problem is not in the results, but in the questions that are to be answered. If investigators asked meaningful questions, the answers to the questions would themselves be meaningful regardless of whether the answer is yes, positive results, or no, negative results. However, the notion that negative results are difficult to publish has a basis of truth. Not all negative results, but certain types of negative results are difficult to publish. The type of negative results that are difficult to publish are specified as follows by the publication manual of the APA, Anonymous, 1974. Failure to replicate results of a previous investigator using the same method but a different sample is generally of questionable value. A single failure may merely testify to sampling errors or to the conclusion that one of the two samples had unique characteristics responsible for the reported effect or lack of effect. An author can resolve the issue when he reports several failures with a range of samples. A single failure is too equivocal to justify publication on its merit alone. Pages 21 to 22. The above is related to a more general problem. When no relationship is found between an independent and a dependent variable, there are many reasons why we cannot conclude that there is actually no relationship in addition to the statistical point that we can never prove the null hypothesis. For instance, the independent variable may not have been successfully manipulated and the measure of the dependent variable may have been inadequate. Mills, 1969. Investigators could consider the problems associated with negative results within the following perspective. A. Many questions, when answered, contribute to knowledge regardless of whether the answer is yes, positive results, or no, negative results. B. Many questions can be worded in a way that avoids the problem of negative results. For instance, instead of testing a null hypothesis, such as hypnosis is no more effective than task motivational instructions in enhancing response to suggestions, the question can be worded in such a way that either a yes or a no answer is equally enlightening. For example, is a procedure that includes many components, a hypnotic induction procedure more effective than one of its components, task motivational instructions in raising suggestibility. After discussing problems similar to those delineated above, Greenwald, 1975, came to similar conclusions. 1. Do research in which any outcome, including a null one, can be an acceptable and informative outcome. 2. Judge your own or others' research not on the basis of the results, but only on the basis of adequacy of procedures and importance of findings. 
page 19.